Hi, my name is Mark Lalone. Welcome to the Movement is Medicine podcast. My guests this week are going to be Chantal Haddad and Marie-Joël Aymond, nutritionists from the Cattery Memorial Hospital Centre here in Gunawake. We're going to be talking about fueling your body for exercise, cheat nights, and self-discipline. Escape the chaos of the everyday and enjoy the waters of the St. Lawrence River with Splish Splash Sea-Doo and Boat Rentals. Experience the most incredible selection of 2020 Sea-Doo's available, as well as our new 22-foot pontoon boat. With a group or on a solo cruise, we've got a fleet of four Sea-Doo's equipped with sound system for your water adventures. Sit back and relax with our driver on the 12-seater pontoon for a four or seven-hour ride. Visit Splish Splash Rentals.com or call 438-871-1587 for booking information. Welcome to the Movement is Medicine podcast. My name is Mark Lalone. My guests today are dietitians, nutritionists from the Cattery Memorial Hospital Center. Can you guys introduce yourselves, please? So hi, good morning. Um, I'm Chantal Haddad. I've been working in Ganawagi for a really long time. Like don't I don't want to say she doesn't want to give up her age. I, I don't want to tell anybody <laughs> how long anymore. <laughs> but most young people, uh, I can ask them, who's your mother? <laughs> Let's put it that way. Fair and enough. I'll know their mother. <laughs> um, yeah. So part of my job, the, the fun part of my job is uh, what we call community nutrition. And that is like really putting nutrition out there in the community, talking to people, answering questions. I'm always available as a resource to anyone in the community who wants any help with anything related to food and nutrition. So that's that's why we're here today. You know, that's part of what we do, putting out there, you know, the uh, information about nutrition and how it can really make you feel your best and be very healthy. Perfect. Perfect. Are we going to talk a little bit about today about how we can use nutrition to fuel our daily exercise and our daily requirements? So, Joelle, if you don't mind introducing yourself, please. I'm, my name is Joelle and I've been working with uh, Chantal, lucky to be working with Chantal for the past almost 10 years now. I'm going to walk in. And I work mostly, I do the scientific stuff. I work mostly in clinical nutrition in the outpatient department of the hospital. And I'm collaborating with Chantal on community nutrition in activities at schools or, or out in the community. A lot less than we used to, unfortunately, because the demand for clinical nutrition is growing mm-hmm. like a, a lot. So I've, I'm being pulled away in my, in my uh, clinical functions. But uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm going to put you guys on the spot right off the bat at the Movement is Medicine podcast. We don't like to beat around the bush too much. I'm going to give you guys the hardest question you may get. You may not even be ready for it. So (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and toss this one out. 17 months of pandemic. Lots and lots of people have found solace in alcohol and in food that maybe is not the greatest food in the world. How do we turn that around now? Beautiful question. It is definitely. And and I'm I'll say that I have observed that in the people I follow for a long time. Like often my my work will require to follow a person over multiple years and and I have seen like a huge change in, in people this year and people's eating, most people anyway. I wanna say take care of the root cause. Mm-hmm. The root causes emotions mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and until that root cause is being addressed nothing's going to do it. Sure. It's, I think it, the nutrition and the, the lifestyle changes will come naturally afterwards if you take care of the root cause. So 
don't overlook the mind just take care of it stress de-stress uh, get out uh, do whatever makes you feel good be mm. work uh, exercise and i think when when the mind comes back where it's supposed to be the nutrition will also come back and it's interesting because covid have been an opportunity to highlight that but it's that's always been like it is a humongous stress so maybe it is a lot easier to see it now because it's been like it's it's so huge it's hard to miss it but it reminds us that this also exists when covid is not around when we mm -hmm. do have stressors we need to address them and often we go after like we we go into a diet to address a problem that seems to be nutrition related but maybe in the end it's not nutrition related it's emotionally related and that's what we need to address that's what needs to be addressed first to fix the nutrition issue that is a great answer and that segues perfectly into my next question for chantal chantal tell me a little bit about the emotions behind people's eating habits okay so i think like joelle is saying we, it's important to acknowledge that emotions are very important and they do drive us so it's important to acknowledge that and because that's a much more complicated issue, people often just say, okay, I'm going on a diet or okay, I'm going on a fitness kick because that just seems a little bit more manageable than dealing with more deeply rooted problems. So, you know, sometimes it's a trigger. So many times people just start with one thing and then the rest follows. So they'll start maybe with an exercise program and then they start to feel good and they're like, okay, maybe I should deal with my nutrition. And then they're feeling better. And then maybe hopefully they'll be like, okay, there's something back there that's not working. Why don't I deal more deeper, you know, to, to fix whatever is going on, whatever is off. And nutrition, food and emotions really are very interconnected because food is not just science. It's not just proteins, carbs and fats. It's emotions, it's culture, it's family, it's upbringing, it's pleasure, and it can go on and on and on. You know, if you're cooking, it's creativity and it goes on and on. So food is huge. We can't just isolate it as a, as a science, as a chemical. It's, it's very connected to everything. And I think when we recognize and acknowledge that we've already made a first step in dealing with all of it. So once you know, when you see yourself, if you see that you, there's an emotional connection then you can start addressing it. And you can also give into it sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you are just eating for pleasure. You're eating because you're with other people and you're enjoying it. And it's okay to do that, you know, mm -hmm. because that's the next thing that happens. People feel guilty. And then that's a big mess. Because when you, when you don't feel good about what you're doing, you feel guilty, then you're hard on yourself. And then it starts another negative cycle. Right. When people talk about the vicious cycle of emotional eating, guilt, beating oneself up, going right back to the bad habit. How do you break that cycle? And how do you not go back? I think we tend to focus on the wrong part of the cycle most of the time. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people will come to the office focusing on the binge part of the cycle, but the binge is an outcome of something. It mm -hmm. came from somewhere. And we tend to we tend to overlook it. Like we look at the binge, we focus on the binge, and now we tell ourselves we feel the guilt and we're like, oh, I'm so not good. Or I don't have enough like willpower mm -hmm. and I should not have done that. Then as a result, we try to fix the, the binge and we're like, oh, I'm going to go like, I'm going to restrict myself again. I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to stop it. And I'm really going to follow the rules like strictly. And then 
maybe it is the restriction that actually leads you to the binge. Mm -hmm. Instead of looking at it like from the binge to the restriction, we must flip it around and look at it from the restriction is is causing the binge. Mm -hmm. And then we just get stuck and stuck and stuck. So when I think that for most people, when you stop start seeing it the other way around, that's when it eventually stops. But it's so hard because it asks for a lot of let go mm -hmm. uh, to, to, to trust that it's without depriving yourself that you're going to not end up binging again is, right. is difficult because it's years. We're talking probably like years of diets and restrictions and, and mm -hmm. it's probably you feel very insecure going back to the, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to allow myself to just breathe here and mm -hmm. eat normally. So some, some people manage to do that on their own. Like um, I have, uh, I'm thinking of a few people I've worked with who worked very closely with a psychologist or with a counselor to actually try to flip it around. Right. And again, it goes back to the addressing the root causes, I think. Mm -hmm. Emotional eating does come out of trauma. Um, mm -hmm. It comes out of stress. It comes out, it's a vicious cycle, as we've said. How do you help people identify their triggers and how do you uh, help them get past those triggers? Well, I think like in the office, we do talk about we try to go beyond nutrition and talk about where are things coming from, where mm -hmm. are habits coming from, what's your what are your what's your culture, what mm -hmm. are your traditions, what's your story, what's your journey, what have you been through, and if if we ever feel that it's it's a, a deeply rooted issue and a bigger outcome, then I'll I'll recommend that people uh, consult with a psychologist to bring a psychologist on the team. We have like awesome services at KSCS or sometimes people are not feeling comfortable consulting in town and they'll go out of town. That's also something I've seen all, a lot. If it becomes like uh, clear that it's the, the, the root cause behind the eating is a psychological issue, then we get the professional help needed. Perfect. So let's talk a little bit about what switch gears. Let's talk about someone who has decided now I want to make a change. I'm going to start exercising regularly. I'm going to start watching what I eat a little bit better. And I'm going to start making positive changes in my life one little bit at a time. What's the process for that? What's the best process for keeping those changes and, and perpetuating them over a lifetime? So I think the first step is usually self-awareness. Just to kind of do a little, ask yourself, where am I at? What what am I going to start working on? So it could be, you know, some people say I cut out, uh, I cut soda and chips and, and I lost uh, 300, well, not 300, <laughs> but 30 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's great if you eat soda and chips, but if you don't, that doesn't apply to you, obviously. So it, it really, again, I'm just trying to emphasize that it's very personal where you choose to begin. And so a good place to start is we often ask people to keep a food journal. So just write down everything you ate, every day with a time. And if, if you think there's something going on emotionally, you might want to write a little note about emotions or about what's going on. You know, like, why did you eat the whole bag of chips? Just write a, something about the circumstance, you know, like I was watching a movie or my friend came over with a bag or just to help you get a picture of it because you do this for a week or two and it gives you a great self-awareness. You can just look at it and be like, oh my God, I'm not eating any vegetables or, oh my God, I eat only between 2 and 6 p.m. So you can slowly start to identify where you might want to put a little bit of work. And then the next step is to decide not only where you need to, but where do you want to start? So for some people, it could be as simple as eat regularly. 
Many people skip meals. They, they go hours and hours without eating. And that's problematic nutritionally, which we can get into if you want. But um, that could be a really good place to start. Eat regularly. Have a healthy snack in between your meals if you're hungry. That's another big thing. Listen to your body, to your hunger, because if you're hungry, your body is telling you it needs fuel, it needs food. So it's not crazy. We're well made, you know, so that's a good, you know, if you're full, stop eating. So just people sometimes have a full disconnect with their body. They don't know if they're hungry or full. And that sometimes happens from years of dieting because you're trying to ignore what your body's telling you. So it's, a, it's again to listen to your body again, to reconnect so that you can have a better self-awareness and then you'll know where to start. That's great advice. How would you advise people to listen to their body? What's a, are there strategies that you would put in place to help them listen to their bodies better? I know personally that I tend to eat slower when I'm in a, in a situation where I would like to control what I'm Enjoy. eating a little bit better. Yeah. Um, I will realize I don't quite have to eat quite as much to fill up if I eat slower. Is that something that computes with what you've heard, seen, and lived with? When we are trying to master something, we need practice. So we need to exaggerate it to actually get it eventually naturally without overthinking it. So I think overthinking it is the, is the key word <laughs> for mindful eating. Like, mm -hmm. for example, the example you gave was, was awesome. Slow down exaggeratedly slowing down, mm -hmm. like eat every bite and, and feel the texture, pay, connect with the texture, like pay attention to how does it feel like in my mouth? What it is, where, what does it taste like? Uh, how, how does it smell like? What does it look like? Most, most of the time we'll just grab a bite of like a handful of food, throw it in our mouth. It's already swallowed. You don't even like, so slow all the process down. That's really, really, really going to help over-exaggerating. Just like if you're practicing hockey, a hockey practice doesn't look like a game. It's it's the same drill over and over and over and over again. So with food, we can do the same thing. Just slowing things down, be mindful, connect to, think of your five senses. Think of the touch, the smell, the, the taste. I feel like that's really great advice. And it, it leads me into the next topic of conversation, which is a lot of people my experience has been, sorry, let me rephrase, as a trainer and as a person who works in the fitness industry, my experience has been a lot of people in their mid-20s to mid-30s don't tend to concern themselves with their nutrition and their exercise habits. They're too busy getting a foothold in the, in the job market. They're too busy having kids or learning to be with a partner or whatever. And then they get to their mid-30s and they're like, whew, my body's not doing what I want it to do anymore. I need to make some changes. Does switching to the light muffins at the office uh, is, is going to fix that? <laughs> so it, people often uh, focus on one very isolated aspect of food and it doesn't work that way. It's the big picture that counts and enjoyment of that food also, as Joelle was saying with the five senses and all that. So one thing like switching to light muffins is going to do nothing at all because you could also eat five light muffins, it, you know? So, <laughs> That's true. And then oftentimes the foods that are marketed as light or as uh, zero this and zero that, you have to be really critical about what you're what you're looking at because sometimes they'll be light in, what does that mean anyway? Light in sugar, but they might be heavy in fat or they might be light colored, light doesn't even really mean anything. So you have to go deeper and see what it is. And uh, 
many things are um, marketed as gluten-free. Well, who says that it, who says that we shouldn't eat gluten? You know, it's a thing for some people, but it's not necessarily a thing for everyone. And some things that have always been gluten-free are now suddenly gluten-free. Yeah. Yeah, Like apples. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you're like, well, it's never been that. There's never been wheat in ketchup. So why (laughs) would there be gluten? Um, It's, it, it makes a ton of sense. And, Let's talk about nutrition myths. Um, we just, just we just touched on light, diet this, light that. Often, as you say, they'll take out sugar and replace it with artificial sweetener or up the fat content to create taste or drop the fat content and replace it with some sort of artificial filler that may be worse or more toxic to your body. What should people do if they want to make a nutritional change today? Their next meal, how should it look? I'll just touch base again on the food journaling, because I think from observation, a lot of people are overlooking this part. It's the most important part. That's exactly what we do when someone walks into an office. It's we look at your whole situation and we try to identify the gaps. And often what people tend to do is they'll just go on the latest trend. Like, oh, in the media now we're talking about, you know, we all know the diets, they come and go. Like now it's a It could be uh, whatever, keto, intermittent fasting, uh, sugar-free, gluten-free, and then it cycles. And then eventually there's going to be a next best thing and and it will continue. Life will continue. (laughs) The life of diet will continue and go on. But um, you have to identify what are your issues. And not everyone shares the same issues. Mm -hmm. Everyone is unique and everyone has their own unique story. So number one thing is identifying what do you need to change. And then from there then you consult with someone to find out the strategies. Now, you you try to find solutions to that specific problem, not a one-size-fits-all solution, something that works for you, for your own situation and your own your own needs. And not everyone has the same nutritional needs either. The person that trains uh, all week long and that has like uh, goals of increasing uh, performances and, and strength will not feed the same way as someone who's, who's uh, like me <laughs> working at a desk job all day behind a desk sitting on a chair. So we <laughs> have to adjust to that. And, and, and I think that's the most, the most important part is making sure that you're not hopping on the latest trend. Maybe the latest trend is good for you, but maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. that's not what you need to go for. And then you have to think of your project as when you're building a house. You're not building the house like the house doesn't appear in the field like boom, <laughs> instantly. Exactly. You pour a slab and then you make plans and then you pour a slab and then you build walls and then you add like the finishing touch. And, and you have to do that if you want your project to be successful. And most people will tend to go all out. It's like, OK, it's today. I'm getting in shape, I'm starting exercising, I'm eating well, I'm washing every day and combing my hair every day. But you you know, if you want it to last, you have to take it slow, take it one bit, one bite at a time. When you master a part, when the slab is ready, the cement is born, it's solid, then you build the walls. And when the walls are straight and it works, then you put the finishing touch. And then you have to keep it up because once you build your house and if you let it go, it's going to go back to hell. <laughs> <laughs> That's a so, yeah. brilliant metaphor. That is absolutely wonderful metaphor for for making changes you have to put down blocks you have to build a foundation and you have to create an existence from scratch small changes will take you far most of the time that's what i've been doing this job for 10 years for over 10 years that's always where i've seen the most successes in people who would take it one step at a time and 
literally as 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 a nutrition professional when i'm sitting in my office and someone tells me how great they're doing and they've changed so much since the past obviously i'm very happy for them but inside i'm very concerned and the first I, it, this raises automatically a red flag for me like when is it going to go off track right like it's coming <laughs> right. it's coming and, and i'm what? watching i'm sitting by the <laughs> i'm sitting in every appointment i'm asking like oh have we gone off track yet right right <laughs> so the non sustainable habits are as much a concern as overeating or unsustainable nutrition habits before going on uh, a weight loss or a a diet regimen how important is it we just touched on food labels how important is it to look at the ingredients and the nutritional information on packaging okay so i'm really glad you asked that because <laughs> i was just thinking that <laughs> almost the best quick fix answer of how do i start right now is by eating foods that don't have a label so <laughs> real food okay so i get this question people always want to know how to read labels and i'm thinking what are you eating that you need to read so many labels and compare so many things? <laughs> mm -hmm. If you eat real food, it doesn't have labels it on it. It doesn't have nutritional you, labels. It's the fruits and vegetables. It's your, your dried beans and peas. It's your fresh produce, your fresh meats, if you're eating meat or, you know, it's mm -hmm. the perimeter of, of the, the grocery, grocery store. store. So most of the time there are no labels, but of course, you know, eventually you're going to eat something with a label on it. If you want to talk a bit more about labels... Again, it's depending on you. What are you looking for? Do you need to limit your salt? Do you need to uh, limit your fats? Do you, do you have an allergy or an intolerance? Are you looking for a specific ingredient? So labels are super useful, especially for people with allergies because the ingredients are listed and people with allergies get to know very quickly how to identify the ingredients they're allergic to and they're listed and you can find them easily. You know what to avoid. Then, now in a more general way, um, if you're trying to avoid something specific like sodium, which for most people, it's a good idea to reduce your sodium for most people, they show you a percentage and just a quick rule of thumb, 5% is a little, 15% is a lot. So that's a way of looking at it. Another important point with label reading is look at the portion sizes. What are they talking about? So the <laughs> yeah. label is for a certain amount sure. of food. So typically you're going to see a drink. For example, I've seen this so many times and it's like, that's, that's cheating. They're cheating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the drink is 700 ml, let's say, and the nutrition information is for 200 Two ml. Mm -hmm. So yeah. most people... You know, many people don't read that detail and they'll just read and be like, oh, there's only, uh, you know, 50 grams of whatever in this bottle. But no, it's not just for the bottle. It's for only 200 ml. Right, it's for so how much are you actually bottle. drinking? It's three times that. So very important to keep that in mind. Really pay attention. And especially if you're comparing one product to another, mm -hmm. are you comparing the same portion size? Mm -hmm. If I may add to, I think people tend to focus on the calorie a lot right. because that's what we hear of, mm -hmm. right? If you're on a diet or, and, and it's such a poor indicator, like cal looking at calories is like looking at a gift that's already wrapped and, and you don't know what's in the box. Right. <laughs> so, and I think that can be very misleading because sometimes something might look very attractive because it has low calories, but it will also not fill you at all. Well, the, so the it's, return it's, on energy is exactly. going to be lower as well because so, calories are... Uh, energy food energy exactly right? i lift weights a couple times a day every day and i love that 
and I move around a lot. So part of what I eat on a daily is I have protein bars. Protein bars, I have to check the labels because when I go to the grocery store or Costco, which is where I buy my protein bars, there's like 18 different kinds. And I always check the labels because some of them, you know, are going to carry 18 to 20 grams of sugar per bar, which is like a candy bar. I might as well be eating chocolate after my workout for <laughs> goodness sakes. So I'll look for the protein bar with the most amount of protein and the least amount of sugar to sort of maximize my return. Am I doing the right thing? Why? Well, it's I think we don't have enough information to answer that question. That would be very irresponsible from our part. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know the big picture. Sure. But it's a good point. I mean, like we said at the beginning, this is a very individual thing mm -hmm. and and you have to look at your whole your old needs and what's your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And and probably if I assume like if you're lifting bars a couple of times per day, maybe you're not always doing it at home. Maybe mm -hmm. you're on the road yes. and thus the bar becomes convenient because you're traveling. Very convenient. If you were benching in your home, well, maybe you'd be eating from the fridge. Yes. And I think that's, that's where we're just going back to, there's no, there's no one size fit all. Right. It has to be tailored to you. Right. And I, I like to use that as an example because I do move around a lot during the day. I've got, you know, four different appointments today and I'll be going to four different places. So eating on the run, it becomes very important. Otherwise I show up and I just don't have the energy to work with my clients. It's exhausting. So um, from a food standpoint, I like to um, graze. I like to eat two to 300 calorie meals, like four to six times a day is my, is my ideal. I'll get up in the morning, I'll have a protein shake and my nutritional supplements, my fish oil, and all the other good stuff. And then I will eat spinach and chicken as often as possible throughout the day. That's with a protein bar here and there, depending on if I'm feeling low energy or not. I will also have a fair amount of white rice after my first workout of the day, but I'm limiting simple starches for the most part. Analyze me. <laughs> well, in the nutshell, I we usually recommend real food more than anything. Mm -hmm. So right away, I'd be like, well, why are you, why do you need supplements? And why do you mm -hmm. need, you know, powders and all that stuff? Mm -hmm. I, I would, I could safely say that you could probably do the same uh, nutritionally and better nutritionally for your body with real food. Mm -hmm. That would be the first thing that I would think of. Because supplements sometimes, like, especially like vitamins and that, it gives us a false sense of security. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I'll just take this pill and everything will be fine. Right. It's not exactly the same as eating well. Right. There's a lot of extra things that is that you find in the real vegetable or in the real fruit that you're not putting in a vitamin pill. So it, the orange, it, just as an example, vitamin C, orange, most people can associate that. So if I extract the vitamin C, it's just vitamin C. But if I eat the orange, I'm eating fiber, I'm eating vitamin C, I'm getting some fluid, I'm getting some phytochemicals, which are all those colorful things that are in there. They're not in the pill. Mm -hmm. So there's added benefits to real food. Mm -hmm. So I can see where sometimes, you know, supplements or, or protein bars, et cetera, help you because you're really on the run or it helps you manage. But don't forget about real food because it's it's also giving you a lot more. Of course. You know, and then the other thing, like from what you say, to me, it sounds very regimented. Mm -hmm. So again, that depends on the person. You have to see what's working for you or not. For some people, that really doesn't work. For mm -hmm. me, that would not work. I don't like being regimented. I like to 
I go with the flow and I, and I have a lot, I attach a lot of enjoyment to food and I try different things and I cook. And so everyone's different in that sense. So you have to see if it fits you. Mm -hmm. Um, Another way to know if it's fitting you is get your medical checkups, make sure everything's in, in order because some people are eating like maybe too much protein. There's such a thing Mm -hmm. because your body has to get rid of the extra protein. If you have any kind of issue with your kidneys, which you may or may not be aware of, that might not be a good idea for you. So check in, you know, maybe if you're in your twenties, you might not need to check in, but as you get older, do check in and just make sure everything's in its place. Your, your, your cholesterol, your blood lipids, is all that in, in place? If you, you know, you don't have diabetes or prediabetes, check those things. Cause as soon as you have a little something that's like a little warning sign, it's really worth taking care of it before it be- develops into a bigger problem. Awesome. It's your way of completing the loop, actually. It's like you observe your eating habits, then you get into a healthy lifestyle, then you feel good and you have energy. And so you carry on with your life and eventually everything goes well. But if something goes off, like Chantal said, if it's being identified that something's going wrong, then you correct it and you adjust what you're doing to actually make it work and keep on going. It it comes back to you need to individualize as much as possible. Mm-hmm. We uh, this is one topic that has been talked about in the past couple of years, but there's not a one good way of eating. There's there are multiple good ways of eating, and the good way of eating for you it's however you're eating that keeps you in a in wellness, mm-hmm. like in a in a unsick, like not in sick, a in, a, in a healthy yeah. in a healthy body. So you have to you have to use that. You have to use the cues to okay. I'm I'm on my spot. I'm on my X, or no, I'm not on my X. I need to change something, and and that's it's part of the frustration. Often, like very often, people tell us like. Ah, oh, they always change their mind. We don't know what to eat anymore. Like eat this, not that. Do this, don't do that. That because the answer is that there's not one answer. There are multiple answers, and not everyone responds the same way to different approaches. So you, you, whenever you choose an approach to and and a way of eating. You have to look at yourself. You have to look at what works for you and what are your needs. We're all born with like a genetic background and then we have like our life history and then we have what we do for a living that's going to influence what's the best way for us to eat. And then obviously, like we said at the beginning, someone who trains all day and who trains many people will not eat the same way as someone like me who's sitting behind my office (laughs) all day. So you have to, before you select a way and not the best way, like your best way, Mm -hmm. And and that best way is not set in time. It will evolve. If you're not evolving, then then you're going to miss the point. You're going to miss it. Your needs today, they're not going to be the same ones in 20 years from now. So you have to keep changing, right? Makes and adapting. Sense. And The only constant in life is change. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this. We've, we've touched a lot on nutrition and dietetics and, and the importance of fueling the body properly and, and how we do that. How important is exercise in getting to and maintaining a healthy body weight or just healthy body, period? Very important. It's part of the, it's a whole, it's part of the story. I find that sometimes people put too much hope in the exercise bag. It's part of the strategy. It's mm-hmm. part of a lifestyle. And and sometimes people would put all their eggs in the same basket, like, oh, I'm exercising, so I'm fine. Mm-hmm. 
Well, no. Like no. you also have to look at how well are you sleeping? How's your stress level? What's your, what? how well are you eating? That's mm -hmm. part of it, right? So I find that it's a mistake to put all your eggs in the same basket. And nutrition is part of that. Like if you think of only nutrition and you ignore everything else, that's not good either. But it should be part of, of, of our life. And it didn't have to probably at a certain time because it was just life. Like you would work, you would work hard to survive and live, but not anymore. And in the society we created for self, where we're taking the car to go to the grocery market and, and we're sitting in our car or sitting at our desks all day, we have to do something to compensate. We have to, because the body is not made to be still. It's made to be like moving. moving. Mm -hmm. Well, we agree very strongly with, uh, on that. That's why we call this the Movement is Medicine podcast. How would you counsel someone to become more active when maybe all they're doing is sitting at a desk all day long? So it's exactly the same approach as we would do with food. It would be small steps at a time and you start depending on where you're at. So for some people getting up, I've had people where you just say, just make sure that every hour you get up for five minutes. That's all. That's where we're starting. Or a 10 minute walk in the morning, and if you can, do one more in the afternoon. And depending on the person, anything is better than nothing. So if you're doing nothing at all, and then you start doing a little bit, that's great. And if you're doing a little bit and you wanna do more, then you, it develops like that. And you have, it's with exercise, it's like with nutrition, you have to find your right spot, what fits you, you know? So if you, if again, if you're healthy, if you're free of disease and everything's going, or if you have a chronic disease that is well-controlled, you're doing great, depending on what you're doing. For some people, it could be just walking. For some people, it could be training. For some people, it could be a sport, whatever sport. But you don't forget the joy that goes in there. It has, you have to have fun with it. You can't be punishing yourself with exercise or with food, because if you take the pleasure out of it, you're just not going to want to do it. I'll add to this, like, uh, make it fun because it's not going to last if it's not fun. Right. So re whether it is get with buddies that you, people that you enjoy spending time with or ask for professional help, like there are professional people who do that for a living, coaching people to exercise mm -hmm. and and just find something that works for you. And if, if you're not enjoying it and you're not having fun, I would say just change it up. <laughs> Go to find the next something one. Else. <laughs> it's yeah. not about stopping physical activity. Right. It's about just change, make something else, like change it to something else. Just like when eating vegetables, like if a person tells me, well, I don't like broccoli, fine, find something else. Yeah, but another another vegetable. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what else on that note that I find really interesting that I've read is there's people who like typically it's an issue with kids often mm -hmm. where they're spending too much time on video games and stuff like that or watching TV. And for for people who are inactive to that extent, sometimes just doing a hobby, which would be like, not necessarily exercise, just a, a very moderate ha hobby is actually a step away from being sedentary. So it could be a hobby like, I don't know, doing puzzles or reading, crafts. reading crafts, painting, Beating. whatever. There's actually more movement involved in that than just sitting in front of a screen. So Interestingly, it's it's just, it could be anything. Just find some enjoyment in some kind of movement. So if I'm taking away from this what I think I should, are you guys saying that little things add up? 
over time. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> totally. <laughs> exactly what we're saying. I would absolutely agree with that. I, I share that philosophy with my training clients. I'm like, if we just aim to get a little tiny bit better every day and we do that little tiny bit every day, it adds up to gigantic things and people are capable of gigantic things and all it takes totally. is... It's also um, a matter of confidence and, mm -hmm. and quality of life. Mm -hmm. Like if you start by running the marathon, you're not going to do it for you're a long gonna, time. Nope. You're not going to like your life. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but nope. if you build up to that, then you're going to feel pride that you were able to achieve such a big thing. I, I often think of a... I, I tell the, the mountain story whenever people get to me with all this huge project and they, they're not likely to break up into smaller steps and smaller parts. And I tell them about the mountain. And it's like, if you were in front of the mountain and you wanted to get to the top, what would you do? It's like, well, I would start walking to the top. Right. You wouldn't take your foot and try to put it on top. Like, this is not possible. You cannot do that. That's mm -hmm. insane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you have every... Big achievement starts the same way. It starts with a single step in the right direction, and that can be applied to whatever whatever you want to achieve. That is big, or that seems big. Absolutely agree. Um, little background: when I started running marathons in 2015, uh, it was awful, but <laughs> I got there by starting to run 400 meters at a time. There you go. I would walk my dog at night. I'd walk it to the train station near my house. Then I'd run home from the train station. Then I'd cough up a lung in my driveway and then I'd go inside <laughs> and I'd repeat that a little bit more every night until I, you know, started running from the other end of the train station and then run from another train station. And then wow. little things add up and, you know, ran my first marathon in 2015 uh, my second marathon in 2016, and that was the last one. I won't be doing any more of those. They're not that pleasant. Uh, At least you did it. <laughs> exactly. It was a goal, and I, I set it, and uh, I accomplished it, and little things go a long way. So this has been a fantastic interview. I really, really appreciate having you guys in here today. I'd love to have you back. I'd love to discuss this further and have some more discussions about fitness myths and nutrition myths and all that good stuff. But this has been the Movement is Medicine podcast. My name is Mark Lalonde. I'd like to thank my guests, Joelle Emo and Chantal Haddad from the Cattery Memorial Hospital Center here in Gunawage. You guys have been remarkable. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Thanks for having for us. The invite. Yoriwaze would like to thank the Community Media Strategic Support Fund for their support. And we'd like to entice all our listeners to go check out our video series on our website at gunawagenews.com. Look us up on Facebook or on YouTube. Like and subscribe.